Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hi, welcome to Sci-Fi Talk, and this is Tony Tolado. You know, making a film is kind of like taking a journey. It goes through a lot of different changes in the script and pre-production phase, and then you cast your actors, and there's some changes that occur there as well as the actors read the lines that were written. And then after the film is released, Sometimes it doesn't do as well as they wanted to, or it doesn't get the recognition on one title, so they change the title to a different one. That sort of happened with this particular film, originally titled The Young Ones, and now it's being called Badland, Road to Fury. These are from the roundtables recorded at New York Comic Con, and we're going to start off with Cody Smith-McPhee, who plays Jerome Holm. He's a central character in the film, it takes place in a future where essentially water is more precious than oil. And people are sort of reverted back to almost a Western type of a culture. And there's a little bit of lawlessness that's going around, and only certain people control the energy. Not too dissimilar from the way things are now. Anyway, here is Cody Smith-McPhee to start us off talking about Badland, The Road to Fury. This is quite an arc for you in this movie. Yes, absolutely. Um, kind of the first time I've got to um, really commit to to showing, I think, for lack of better words, my potential or um, something that I haven't really gone to such depths before. Um, and it's all a part of the kind of transition I'm trying to make from boy actor to teen actor. So definitely this, this is uh, helping that a lot. It's even tough just kind of trying to find... Um, quality, genuine jobs um, in, uh, you know, a, a good momentum. Um, you, you can't be picky, of course, uh, but I always like to keep each job something that's going to stick with me and something that's going to stick with someone else who watches it. So, yeah, it can be definitely hard, but I've actually been very lucky with the transition that I've made and the films that are coming out now are definitely going to help that. Uh, when you're kind of dealing with these these deep movies like this there's always going to be a, a, a scene like that and you don't know when as you said it's going to it's going to come up it could be right at the start when you don't know your character that well if you haven't you know um, lived it so you have to know your character that well from the very start and um, that is through obviously just the the research that you do by yourself beforehand I try to juice all the information I can from the script and um, Jake's attention to detail, as you can see in the movie, is amazing, but it was also that within the script, and that's what really intrigued me to, to commit to this, because um, it was always that feeling, that unique, weird, new thing. Um, so yeah, I, I took everything I could within my own path, but then eventually when I was in the company of him, I, I took everything I could from him, and um, I created and embodied this whole character, and so when you just know the past of this, this person and their intention of love, um, that's something so real that's that's real in that moment. So that, that's where that comes from. And uh, yeah, I'm very grateful uh, for my dad and, and, and everyone who's taught me anything about acting to know that. And now I can carry that momentum through everything I do. I was attached to it, a, I think a year or maybe even two before it, it actually, you know, this one got up and running. And I'm not sure if he told you, but we originally were gonna shoot it in Spain and it was actually uh, virtually with basically the same main cast that we have now, apart from Sh uh, Shannon. Um, and yeah, we were, I'd never met Jake at this point, but we were Skyping a lot um, about the character and about the script. And I, I 
loved it just as much back then and then it was really kind of it hurt me that it didn't go ahead but um, obviously it was for the better and uh, yeah when it was up and running again and we had the same cast I was so excited to just get back into it. Like I said we were originally going to do it in Spain but I heard that the time that we were supposed to shoot in Spain it was raining the whole time so that would have been a horrible ironic uh, <laughs> dip for this movie. Um, oh, there's no water. <laughs> we're all blind. Um, so yeah no it was actually the universe was just trying to make this what it is so I'm, I'm glad. If I could take myself out of myself and be the audience and watch this film, it would hit me somewhere because that's what art does. You're, you're doing something to hit people. Um, so I guess in a weird way, if I can do something and it hits myself, that would be kind of cool. But I really try not to take on any emotion um, when I'm portraying a character. Uh, I'm trying not to be myself when I'm that character. I'm trying to just be that character. Um, and then when they call cut, I, I'll jump out of it and, and appreciate the script and, and let those parts of the script hit me as they do hit an audience. Sci-Fi Talk continues, so stay tuned. Did you have a chance to bond with Michael to do the father and son relationship a little bit beforehand? Truthfully, uh, it was actually pretty, um, it was actually a kind of a small time frame that we had to rehearse or kind of bond. Um, we were all, uh, I'm not sure, once again, if, if they said we kind of had a, a small, limited amount of time to, to get this, uh, a lot of this attention to detail out. Um, so yeah, the rehearsal time was kind of limited, but it was everything we needed. We just met, you know, and we were staying in this guest house together, which was a, an amazing experience because we're in this small town of Springbok. There's no one else there that you can relate to, and all the people that you're working with, you're staying in the place with, and we'd, we'd have dinner together and stuff. It was just something that was just different that, that I hadn't experienced before. So I think through the simplicity of that is what we bonded from. Um, and then obviously the film and, and the challenges that came along with the, the mentality and, and physical aspects of where we were shooting brought us all together because um, it was definitely teamwork out there. Absolutely. And, and the different lessons that you can, can learn from uh, maybe jumping into the future and assuming what a post-apocalyptic uh, environment could be. Um, this one, though, is, is um, as Jake would say, and he could explain it in much, much depth, this one wouldn't be so much post-apocalyptic, but from a world that's been forced back into a Western time and trying to rebuild, it's almost like they've just degenerated. Um, because of this momentum that we have right now, we, we have the ability right now to change any problems in the world. But because of the people who are running the world, are running it through ego, uh, they're just going to juice it and use it as a battery until it's dead. So that's, that's where we're leading. So I think that's why this movie is absolutely plausible and absolutely realistic. It's not even going to an end of a world. It's just going to a horrible degeneration of a world that's not caring for other humans. Um, Jake sent me a bunch of westerns, but unprofessionally I didn't watch them. Uh, <laughs> no, I, but I, I, uh, I, uh, I, I had watched my little fair share of westerns before, as I love Quentin Tarantino, and I heard that he grabbed from uh, a lot of things, you know, uh, to create himself. And so I wanted to see what he grabbed from and then use what he does to create myself um, and other artists as such. But yes, I, that's my favorite aspect of it as well. It always was quite obvious that this was going to be a futuristic Western, but, but feeding them both as they, as they equally should be. And that, the fact that this was filmed on, I think, actual film and, and the scenery and, and the way that he did it, I, I don't know, it's just something that... It, I don't think a lot of directors could do and, and pull off as naturally as it, it, come, it comes off. Um, well, once again, and I'm not sure if this is through Jake's genius mind or obviously the, the help of all around him, but um, 
all of the CG kind of components in the movie, uh, aspects in the movie, were half physical um, in reality and then half, you know, something that they were going to paint out later, which we wouldn't really react with. So the parts that we would react with were actually physical and we could hit it and as you saw me, you know, smashing it, we could, we could do all of that, um, which helped a lot. It was always there and as you can see in this movie, um, the, the technology that we've evolved with got so advanced to the point where it's almost virtually creating a consciousness or a soul that we can confuse ourselves in our own consciousness to relate to. Um, and that was really cool to have that physical aspect there, that I could look that thing in the face and, and be there with it and, and give off that emotion of connecting to something. It's, it's almost like a glitch in the universe. We're, we're trying to evolve with something that is nothing of us. And it's funny, I'm touching on the, answer, the question that you said, the post-apocalyptic lessons in all different ways. You know, and this has been portrayed in a lot of different movies, 2001 Space Odyssey, a lot. Man evolving with technology, I think, is just going to end up hitting a, a blank wall. Um, it, we think we're creating something so great and so smart, yet where is that coming from? It's coming from within us, and, and we're ignoring that place that it's coming from, and we're trying to put it into the physical world. I think if we simply turn around and look where that's coming from, we're going to find better things in technology. Talk about your relation, your character's relationship to your to El, El's character, your yeah. sister. That really talk about an arc too. That really was uh... absolutely. Um, that is, a, yeah, it's a very heavy relationship and kind of really heavy um, family problems. Um, and I think what I love is that I got to work with such a youthful, great cast, but. Um, the intention and, and, and the wisdom behind these characters, they were dealing with such uh, mature uh, things. So that, that made them, in return, act naturally weirdly mature for children. Um, and as it goes, the, the story that, I mean, the journey that Jerome goes on is one that's extremely mature, you know, trying to protect his family and, and um, yeah, through the love of his father and, and what's happened. So. Yeah, I, I loved that each character had their own amazing heaviness and, and depth and intention. And um, Elle is amazing. She absolutely goes to that place within herself, and I think everyone did that. So I really, I really appreciate that being there, and it just brings another aspect to the movie. Just a quick follow-up. Do you think the girl that he met, do you think now that, because now he's that man, mm. that he's going to follow up and, and see her because he sketched her? You know, I think you sit down and... and, and I mean, I'm saying this through the kind of falsity wisdom that I can try and fathom of when I'm going to be 25, but there's girls that you meet within your life and you think, wow, what would happen if I went back, you know, what are they doing now? And I think he would have had those thoughts and um, due to the freedom that he has in that world, I, I think maybe he would try and find her if he could, definitely. Um, seeing that he went on this other journey, I mean, what does he have to lose? I, I think he'd definitely go back and look for her. But I, I can never really like put my finger or pinpoint something that I that I learned, and that's just also through a small psychology thing. You know, putting it into words, you can only relate to so many emotions that I'm giving to you. Um, so I'd rather not do that, but I'd rather tell you kind of more of a, a structure of what I can learn, which is I, I can learn from anyone. I learn from all you here at the table. I, I'm a youthful child, and, and children are kind of like sponges. You know, they're creating the character in which they're going to become. So. Uh, I watch these people of, of um, great purity like Michael Shannon and, and Jake and Nick and all these people are amazing to work with and you can take away things um, from them simply through observing that you can uh, add to grow to your career or add to grow to your life. 
and I definitely do that all the time with anyone I meet. Kind of the track that my life has taken me through has definitely given me, and this is not coming from an egotistical place at all, but uh, a great wisdom that not a lot of other children have the opportunity to have through the experiences that I've had. Um, so I'm, I'm absolutely grateful for that, and I definitely wanted to bring that aspect into Jerome because that's something that I have and I cherish within myself. Thank you. Thank you. I think you nailed it, man. Thank I'm you very much, man. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. He grew up in His next role will be Nightcrawler in X-Men Apocalypse, an actor who is on the run. Michael Shannon is Ernest Holm, who is Jerome's father. You know, I saw so many, so many things from like the classic westerns of the guy that you played. Was yeah. A bit of Gary Cooper, a little bit of uh, Clint Eastwood's Farmer from Un, you know, from Unforgiven. Wow. Uh, you know, it was. I, I just like the way you approached him and the fact that, you know, he was tough, but he also had definitely showed affection for his kids and his family, and also dealing with his guilt. A lot of layers to this guy. And I oh, thanks. You brought him home. Well, I have. I have to give Jake a lot of credit for it, too. I mean, you know, I think uh, despite all the futuristic elements and environmental elements of the film, it's a very personal film for Jake. So, you know, uh, and it came through for me in the writing. It really boils down to the writing. If you can just open your mouth and say the words and, and it works, then that's really the way it's supposed to go. So... I think Ernest feels very alone. I mean, other than his children, I think that's why he's so protective of, particularly of Elle, is because I think he feels like once he, once they're gone, he's really going to be completely alone. So, um, except for, you know, his wife, but that relationship obviously has some issues so um yeah i I don't i i I think also because he's trying not to drink it makes him very nervous to to be around people um and you know honestly i think if it were up to him he just wouldn't leave his his land you know a lot of people have asked well why does he stay there it's because it's his home and he loves it there and he doesn't want to leave yeah, well, the first day we shot was really brutal. It was actually, it was like the, it was the hottest day that I remember the whole time I was there. And um, they had like, they had this drink. It's like the South African version of uh, Gatorade. What was it called? Jake, what was that drink called that they had? The orange game. Was it game or gain? Game. Yeah. So everybody was drinking game all over the place. Oh, and somebody, didn't somebody, Cody like fell out or something, I think. Somebody fell out. Oh, no, it was somebody on the crew. Oh, yeah, our focus puller, Neil, who honestly was not a very nice person. Um, he uh, he fell out one day, and that's bad because we had to we couldn't shoot because you need the focus puller. <laughs> but you know, oddly enough, I just drank coffee and and soldiered on through. I guess I'm I'm a machine. 
Speaking of soldiering, I kind of got the impression that he had a military background, the way he handled weapons and things. Yeah. Is that Did you kind of create that, or did you talk to Jake about that? You know, I, I felt like maybe it was more like a hunting thing, you know? I've In my imagination that he, back when the land was fertile, you know, he probably did a lot of deer hunting or... Um, but that's interesting. Uh, he doesn't seem very patriotic, um, but it's not much reason to be at this point, I don't think. Do you think, did he ever feel out of place? Yeah. I, yeah, I just don't think leaving is a solution. Because, yeah, there may be somewhere you could go and be a little bit better off, but the, the people that are over there probably don't want you coming there because, you know, it's like this whole thing of uh, immigration, you know? It's like that could that could become an issue within our own country at some point, these states, you know, because in the future they say, well... Everybody should move to Oregon. That's the one place you can, that'll probably still be okay. Well, how are the people in Oregon gonna feel about that? They don't want you moving. <laughs> They're like, no, the, the entire United States is not moving to Oregon. So, um, so it's, but yeah, I, I think that land's probably been in his, you know, it's probably the land he grew up on. And, and you don't, if you're a farmer, you don't just abandon your land I mean it's a sacred thing you know? I mean I'm not one of these people that sits down and like writes their diary for their whole character's life or something I, cause I don't really I think that's kind of a a lot of energy to spend on something that nobody is ever gonna know anything about but and like I said if it's, if it's in the, if it's in the script then then you don't have to be so anxious about it. I mean, for me, it's more about, like, not what may have happened in the past, but, like, what's happening when you're there actually shooting. And the relationships, you know. Like, to me and Cody seem like father and son. I mean, I did, you know, I, when I was doing Take Shelter, I did a little bit of research. I want. I don't want to come up with something that's so um, defined that people can't have their own interpretation of it. You know? For me, what draws me to movies, these movies, is, is the people making them first and foremost, and um, and maybe the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when if I'm in a movie about something um, that seems silly or just inconsequential it's hard for me to motivate myself to do it because I'm like why am I doing it so it's if you're doing a movie like this you're like oh I'm doing this because it's about something important and that's one of the things you brought to Zod too was um, his motivations you could totally understand he's trying yeah. to save what's left of his home well, yeah, in a way, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a dissimilar story. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the fact that I could do a, a huge studio movie, and yet at the same time, explore some of these, continue to explore some of these issues about uh, 
the state of the the world. You know, it was such a separate, you know, it's like I said, we went to this whole other country and this this alien kind of landscape that I'd never been to and it just felt real different, like being there. I mean, I was so glad we did that instead of like, because the easier thing to do would have just been to go to like Utah or something and do it there. <laughs> but there was something about the trip and being so far away that really helped me get in that, that frame of mind, you know. Even though it's very much set in America, ironically, it was nice to uh, to go there. But when I came home, it was like, I mean, I don't, I'm not anything like this guy at all. You know? My life is nothing like this, his life. But I can, you know, I grew up in Kentucky, so I, I, I've, I've seen people like him and I've driven past the farms and, you know, but I, it's not my experience. When we were shooting, he didn't tell you? When we were shooting what it was, okay, so the, 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 the back of the simulate was real, you know, the tray where we'd put all our supplies and stuff. And then where the legs were, they had these two fellas who would bend over and put this thing on their back and they would walk around like they were the donkey's legs. <laughs> and one of them literally had his head and the other one's tush and they were like walking around and they were in these motion capture suits that were really uncomfortable and they were apparently they were you know like what were they Jake were they like gymnasts or acrobats or something parkour, parkour. they were parkour guys yeah yeah and they would uh they'd walk around all day one of them actually lost his job for, let's say, uh, self-medicating. But it was hard to it was hard to get too mad at him. It was a miserable experience. So that's how they did that. So in terms of working with him, I would always try to like trip him and stuff, <laughs> make him fall. I'm sure, it's hard not to laugh too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, I vastly preferred working with that to the real donkey. Like, I was really happy when the real donkey went down. Because that donkey was a pain in the ass. Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was your experience working with Nicholas? How was that? I love Nicholas, you know. It's ironic because we have to be so adversarial in the movie, and uh, obviously, you know, those scenes on the side of the mountain are really unpleasant. But um, he's just a wonderful person, and you know, I just saw him last night for the first time in a long time, and his face lit up, and he came and gave me a big hug, and you know, it's like he's just a very warm-hearted. And he worked really hard and took it real serious, you know. And he was real serious about his his accent. And he was real nervous when he had that big speech. He kept saying, oh, I gotta do this big speech. It makes me nervous. <laughs> and uh, I, I find that 
you know, charming. Rather than, you know, people... Because, you know, there's a lot of people in this that just kind of show up and don't really care that much. But, uh, but all three of these kids, are, they're top-notch, you know. Got to congratulate you on the Boardwalk Empire. Oh, yeah. Finishing up. I mean, that, talk about a guy... I never knew where he was going to come from next. I yeah. Mean, that must have been a blast to play a guy like that. Yeah, it was fun. Well, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons I wound up doing this is because Jake's known Tim Van Patten. Tim, Tim Van Patten's known Jake since Jake was three years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tim Van Patten was at the premiere last night. And we were talking outside about it. He's like, I... I I used to see Jake when he was three years old. Now he is here making this movie. But, but Tim's the one who told me like I should read the script and give him a chance, and and so I did. So if it weren't for Tim, I might not be here right now. But yeah, Boardwalk was, yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know. It's funny. It got, I feel like it got it started. It was starting to get a little repetitive. So maybe it was a good time to. It's like, how many more times can you watch Van Alden get humiliated or, <laughs> you know, in a bad spot, you know? It's basically... It's, but it's hard for me. I mean, I don't... You know, there's not really a line there that I'm conscious of. I mean, when I'm... When the camera starts rolling, I'm not me, but I'm not necessarily someone else. I don't know who I am. Just, you know... When I was a kid, I was into Star Wars, like most kids. I had that stuff, the action figures and the castle they had. <laughs> I used to like to play with that, but... Yeah, it's weird. I don't really, um... I don't really go to the movies much. <laughs> I guess, you know, they say you can, uh... If you're in the business too long, it's becomes hard to enjoy going to the movies. So I that might have happened to me. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank thanks. You. Thank, you, Thank you. Take care. Thanks. You too, man. Michael Shannon's next role is Elvis in Elvis and Nixon. Sci-Fi Talk returns in a moment. Next up is writer and director Jake Paltrow and Nicholas Holt, who is Flynn Lever. There was a lot of uh, images of westerns from my youth in there. Yeah. And even actually the beginning was very Dawn of Man 2001 at the landscape. Yes, it does have. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a nice thing to say. The cool thing about it is it's it's like a very western-themed movie, but yet the science fiction elements really blend really well with it. When you're making, you know, getting the story together, uh, is that something that was incorporated early on or... Is that what you were intending to do? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, it's, uh, I try hard to try to make something that feels like we haven't seen it exactly this way, and, and I'm thinking about those things all through the writing of how can we do? Because I, it, you know, I wanted to make it a West, as a western, and wanted to make it in this classical way, and it's and, and all of that sort of in it. But I wanted to feel like how can we make it that might feel sort of different and sort of like something that we haven't quite experienced um, in an aesthetic sense, in a world sense, and. Um. I didn't like this guy that you played. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people did. But for you, it's great because we normally we see you as the good guy so many times. Yeah. Uh, so what was it like to kind of play someone a little darker, very manipulative type? Of 
character. Very manipulative. Yeah, I played manipulative characters before, and that's always interesting because it gives you a lot of subtext where whatever you're saying, essentially, there's so many different motives for what you're actually aiming for. And that was, you know, reading the script for the first time, I kind of liked the character. Um, and, and, and then Jake had just written some brilliant dialogue, strange dialogue. The rhythms and patterns of it were quite difficult at times and the types of speech. Um, but then it would be... Um, I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> there was something else. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's, he, yeah, he does some bad things. But um, that was the thing. I read, I read it and I was like, this, this character is intriguing. There's a, there's a lot going on. There's, there's reasons for everything he does. I think there's also a lot of goodness in him. He, does, he, he is trying to do the best he can under the circumstances. Um, so, yeah, I, I was thrilled. I, I, when I first read it, I was like, this is, this is exactly the t type of thing I want to do next. Like, just keep on mixing it up. And, he, and also, I think, in, in Nick made the character more com more complex than he was sort of written. I think he was written as a more just art sort of bad guy who does a, all these terrible things. And Nick's sort of just natural humanity and intelligence really brings phlegm to life in a way that creates a sort of gray area that I don't think was totally there and it's much better on screen than probably it was on the page. It was there because it, it just depends yeah, how, you, how you look at it. But I, I, always, I always took it as that he really does love Elle's character and he wants to look after these kids and he wants to be like a father figure in many ways um, so yeah there, there was goodness within him somewhat no, I saw it <laughs> just methods I wouldn't agree with <laughs> yeah, no exactly he just, he, he, motivations he, are right he does, yeah he just made some bad decisions yeah. we've all done that oh yeah this was the first film where normally I have a guy because um, I did the first American accent when I was 14 and I and I the guy then who basically taught me it would be on set and listen and point out if I ever dropped it or went wrong. Um, this was the first film that he wasn't actually on set with me, so I'd, I'd, I'd run the script with him a couple of times just to make sure, because occasionally there's a word that, no matter how many times you've done an American accent, there's just, you just pronounce it real strange in my opinion. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so you pick out the couple of words that are odd. Did I keep the accent up on set? Most of the time I did, right? Yeah, I feel like in general you sort of held on to it, and then you had those great those you would say a, a, a couple of things that would get you whenever you felt like we lost thing. Remember, you had like a there was a rhythmic oh, collection of words yeah, that would break. There's a series of words that I say, which basically are like kind of the sounds. Of it's the like a, it, sound, it was like Nick's mantra sometimes. You like you'd hear like, Well, he, me and Hugh Jetman have the same dialect. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, when we're doing X Men, yeah, we're both walking around like wow, wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> I'm not going to go you through it. You keep it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it to myself. It's like, yeah. But um, I kind of like doing American. Now I've done so many American roles, it kind of doesn't feel right when I have to act in an English accent. And then I like listen to it and it sounds strange. Whereas it's kind of an easy way to get into a, into a role. Um, no, I'd finished Mad Max just before this. Um, and that also shot in Africa. And when Drake, Jake, Jake told me, because we were meant to make this a year before when we actually did in Spain. And then the, the financing, or whatever, fell apart and things. And then, and then Jake called me. Was like, "Yeah, we're doing it in South Africa." I was like, "Oh Jesus!" So I've just spent seven months there for my Max, and I was like, "It's lucky I love you and the film so much. Otherwise, for a lot of things, I wouldn't have been going back." Very lucky. <laughs> it was really, it was really tough um, because you know, obviously, it's a very physical movie, and we're up, up and down these trails every day. The first three days of shooting, which are the opening, the shootout with Michael and those bandits. It's like 115 degrees and 
you know, and there's no shade anywhere. We have a couple of these tents and one tent or something. Um, but it really, we were about halfway through the second day, and I thought, if it's going to be like this, I don't know if we're actually going to be able to make finish this movie. Just going from point A to point B and getting through these scenes and picking up the camera and getting the next shot ready, it was so difficult for everyone. And you really could just feel you were, you know, drinking... 15 bottles of water a day and it would just and it would just flow right through I remember I went home after the first and second day of shooting and like splashed water in my face and my eyes started stinging I said why and you could feel these you know, like 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 a sheet of frost on a car window and the you know of salt crystals on your face in the day I never experienced anything like that so it was just very physically challenging on top of everything else you know being so remote is it brings its own set of challenges you know we actually we lived in a town that was a six or seven hour drive from Cape Town toward Namibia then our set was another hour and 15 minutes each direction every day so and when we got there there was no cell service or anything else or anything so then we would shoot all day on this farm where we built the house the shipping container house and all that stuff so if you needed to make a call or something happened, it was the first time in my life I'd been on a, on a movie set where like, well, if a light blew, like, we went home. There was one night where the, the generator blew and we were shooting this night scene in the house and we just had to go home. There's no, you know, if you're here in town, you're in LA or somewhere, you know, somebody immediately from Panavision or wherever will like bring a new light and you'll sort of, or it's sort of, I mean, it's their studio. There, there's lots of ways to fix it. Another generator. There it was just, that's, that's sort of it. I, I think it definitely brings something to it. And I, the thing I think, I think the best thing of, of all of that was really, you know, there were no hotels where we were, and we lived in these guest houses, you know, which is just like someone's home with a few extra rooms, like, built out the back. And we had a cook that we brought from Cape Town, um, and every night we'd sort of have family dinner. So it would be it was me and the actors and one of our producers and Elle's teacher and her mom... And it was a very small group, and every night we always had this thing to sort of look forward to when we came home. And and that really, you know, it was always funny. I was always like, you know, you and Michael got along so well, and I was like, no, don't get along too well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that really did bring everyone together. And then we'd have, you know, we were shooting six-day weeks, and so we had that sort of one day off, and there was like a tiny pool behind it. But everyone would just sort of stay close and recover on that day. And I feel like in, in a funny way, it was, it was almost more just... We, we lived outside of the movie that was part. Uh, I mean, I probably don't know. I don't think about. The, I would say the most personal thing is the, what started the movie was this sort of love story between the father and the son. And there's a lot of my father in earnest. You know, he died, and my father died quite young. And um, and I hadn't written anything about it. And he was some. And he was really my sort of my best friend. We were very very close. So in some ways, that's maybe the, it's not autobiographical in any way at all but it is personal and, and, and that some of the interactions and those kinds of things um, but I sort of feel close to, to all, of, all of the characters there's things like even in you know Sam Lever the guy who plays his father some of the things that he's gone like I feel I think there are personal things in all of these characters I mean even in Phlegm and even in some of these I think when you write them one way or another you're even if it's not you, there are things that are on your mind, or they're coming from a personal place, even if it's not autobiographical. It was nice that you separated the movie like into chapters on each character. Oh, oh I'm glad you liked and, that. And uh, that there's also like a little moment, uh, and, and musically there was like almost themes for each one. Yeah. What was interesting was in when uh, 
Cody's looking at the recording, you hear his father's theme as yeah. you hear that, that it almost signals a transition in him. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I know Nathan because I've interviewed him before. Uh, did you work with him closely on that to kind of get the sound right for each? Yeah. I mean, I told him that I wanted you know it to be melodic and but unusual, and we could work with you know instruments that wouldn't normally sort of be used for a movie like this. And we talked about the wind a lot and how we could incorporate the wind. And that house had a natural creek to it, all the shipping containers and. And, I, and that became that was a real just when we were shooting remember you'd be in that house and it was just what was it like it, it's almost like it breathed and so he brought a lot of that into it but the big thing was like I want it because we wanted to make a movie in sort of a classical way um, you know without hitting it too hard on the head but I wanted it to be something maybe you could whistle you know it's like uh, my favorite film scores are ones you know that you can remember and whistle and that sort of thing and I don't feel like I see that very much or, or see it all that, you know, in ones that I really love. You know, and Nathan's the only contemporary, maybe, you know, one other, you know, Johnny Greenwood's on these beautiful scores, and, but I haven't, those are maybe the only two contemporary composers that are John Williams or somebody whose scores I bought. And so when I was making the movie, I thought, oh, it would be so great if I could have Nathan do it. And I showed him the movie, I didn't know him, and I showed him an early cut of the movie, and he came on and he did it, and it was an amazing experience, you know. And, yeah, that scene in the pit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a tough scene. Um, that was a rough day, wasn't it? Was a rough day. <laughs> that was because of, of the light. Um, we, when I was doing that speech and everything, um, which was a lot longer in the script, actually, it was, um, <clears throat> we had to shoot well, Cody's side first, which is like, t- normally on, with a scene like that, where it's a very one-sided dialogue-wise, you try and shoot person with the dialogue first but because of the light I had to do it the other way around and it was tricky because I lost it and then and then Jake told me I had lost it and I couldn't it wasn't right anymore and then it was like trying to find it it was it was a tough scene um, the screaming was like yeah that was hard but that's just you know all those all those, like the physical aspects you just have to kind of put aside like the heat and all that stuff that's just like Acting in many ways is like doing the best under the circumstances and it's always that thing that you finish a film and what you've learned doing that film you want to go back and do it again because you're like, like sitting here now, like I feel as though 18 months on I was like if I could go back and do it now I'd do it a lot better than I did it then just because I've learned a fair bit since then so it's, it's always that thing where you go you want to do it again. It is, it's a learning curve, it's pretty, like we were, you know, it was sort of designed around that sun being behind Cody for that shot. I mean we had picked a whole thing so it would be exactly you know, the sort of halo behind his head and that could only happen a certain day. Like, if I was doing it again, I would, like, never do it that way. You know what I mean? Not the best. To me, it really started with the S.E. Hinton books. It was the biggest influence. I reread those as an adult and I started thinking about, and I loved them as a kid so much and and probably even more, you know, now. But, um, um, Rumblefish and the Outsiders and those sorts of things. And I started thinking about what a science fiction story written by her would sort of feel like. Feeling like we are adapting an Essie Hinton science fiction movie. This, that was the approach of the thing. Um, the Western part of it, you know, I feel probably closer to the spaghetti Westerns in a funny way, even though we didn't make it in that tradition. It's made in, more in the tradition of like, you know, a Weiler or a Bud Bedecker was somebody that I always really liked, you know, and he made those movies so quickly and they always had these sort of very sad endings and, and ours is a sort of tragedy and... And so I, I so I so so I, I was thinking a lot about about those guys, but the, but the, but the, but the heart of the spaghetti westerns. The, one of the things I always loved is they dealt with a lot of sort of contemporary political issues of the time, 
you know, inside of these historical, but they're weird, you know, a lot of the ones, there was, Death Rides a Horse was one that I always really liked, you know, and having somebody like Lee Van Cleef being a, he- a hero after playing so many villains is a very similar thing to sort of Michael being this warm, heroic, you know, handsome, you know, seeing him in this way, it's like, it's like watching Steve McQueen suddenly, you know, Mike in this movie, and, and so I like playing with um, subverting expectations in those sorts of in those sorts of way, and I think that comes a lot from from the spaghetti westerns. You have an actor that you know Lee Van Cleef or somebody like that who keeps showing up. It works certainly. Well, let's try him as the hero, you know, or one of those. And then you do that in a couple of those movies, and then it works with this. The the, the, the reason we were going to have been shooting in Spain was like a production financing sort of issue or, or originally. But once we were doing it, there, I got very excited about you know traveling to some of the same territory. It just did, no, 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 oh, no, no. Well, and funnily enough, we were shooting near, we were going to be shooting near there, and I was very afraid of that. Um, and in fact, the place that we would have filmed the movie, and it rained 20 out of the first 30 days of our schedule. And we sort of kept, and it was one of those chilling, it's the only thing that couldn't happen on this movie was we couldn't have a drop of rain, and even a cloudy day. And it only rained that one morning when you two were having the conversation before you kill Ernest. You remember it was like that morning the clouds rolled in and we were just about two hours where it was like often just a few sprinkles and then that went away it was the only thing we couldn't do and it's not a bondable thing so it's not the kind of thing on the movie you say to the people making financing the movie or insuring the movie it rained can we get another day it's not you can't you can't get it so. there's like a, a, a recent trend this year that it's a good trend is that I'd like you both to comment on it's like it seems like some of the really good science fiction is being made on a smaller scale and really tackling it from a character standpoint I love X-Men don't get me wrong I love those big budget <laughs> movies and thank you for Days of Future Past for fixing that but um, but still it was uh, it, I, I, another movie The Signal was like this too it's very character driven both comment on that that we're seeing an interesting wave that's kind of rolling in right now yeah, I don't know totally where it, where it comes from. You know what it is that I mean. I think what it is is you're seeing a movie like Upstream Color or something. You know, which to me is science fiction as any of these other ones. You know, that are approaching them from a very different way. And one like that is obviously a more esoteric approach. Um, I think it's because a lot of these movies are dealing with social issues and sort of political issues, even if they're not the main part of the the narrative. They're they are a big part of the narrative. And often those aren't the kinds of things that studios are going to do. And what the big change that's happened is there's so many brilliant visual effects practitioners now, and it's so much easier to do this stuff than it was even four or five years ago. That I think that has opened up the tools. It's like they've caught up to like digital editing almost. Now it's a matter of it's like really a matter of talent and like rendering software and rendering farm, having access to that sort of technology, but. Beyond that, it's like if you, it's 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 there, you know, and just a slightly above consumer. There's the thing that the more the more money a film has, then the more everyone on the, the visual effects side of things are like, well, we can do this and we can do this and we can have this blow up, and then you, and then you sit there, and then that that takes precedent over the people and the story within that. So when when you're more restricted on a budget like this, where you have to be very selective on how many shots you can have effects in, then I mean, this film essentially you could take out a lot of those effects and just change little things, and it'd still be an interesting story about this family. So, whereas some of the bigger films, if you take out the special effects, then who knows what's going on? Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.
Very special thanks to New York Comic Con and also Subtigo Tika Pictures. Badland Road to Fury is available on DVD and also pay-per-view. I certainly hope uh, you can get it. I believe it's also on Netflix at this time. Until the next Sci-Fi Talk, this is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.